Praise God. God is so good, isn't he? Let's just take a moment and just worship him. Lord, we are so thankful. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you. We honor you. Just, just begin to speak well of him in your own words. Tell him what he is to you. Tell him what he is to you. Lift up his name. Lord, we bless you. You are good. Your mercies endure forever. Come on, guys. Let's worship the king. We thank you, Jesus, that you are faithful to a, a thousand generations. Lord, you have rescued us from the mud and mire. You have rescued us from the pit. You have raised us up and seated us in the heavenly places. Lord, you've redeemed us. You've redeemed our lives. You've renewed our youth like the eagle. You have restored us. You have showered us with your loving kindness. Lord, you have made us righteous. You have made us holy. You have made us clean. You set us free from sin and death. We bless you, Lord. Lord, we thank you. You're holy. You are holy. You are good. You are so amazing and awesome. Lord, we bless your name. Thank you, Jesus. We give you glory and we give you honor. We give you glory and we give you honor in the church. Be blessed, be honored, be magnified. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Be blessed, be honored, be magnified. Be glorified. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Spirit of the Lord desires to redeem, redeem your mouth, redeem your tongue, redeem your words. We have been trained to speak the language of the world. And God has dis destined you and designed you to speak the language of heaven. How can we bless the Lord with our lips and curse our brothers? Can salt water and fresh water flow from the same spring? How? Can we speak the language of those who have not yet been redeemed and call it holy? The Lord is redeeming your words. He's redeeming your mouth. That you would be trained to bless the Lord from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. The church has in large part forgotten how to bless the Lord without having a song written for him. Or a prayer taught to them. But the Lord is redeeming your words. He's redeeming your mouth. We ask Lord, we ask God to give us authority in our words. Give us authority in our prayer. What would happen 
if you obtained the thing you were asking for? What would happen if God honored your words? That would be good, wouldn't it? But for many of us, that would do more damage than it would do good. The things we're saying, we don't want God to honor that. We curse, we damn, we, we condemn. I encourage you guys, learn. I believe it was the Spirit of God instructing us just now. Learn how to bless the Lord. Train yourself to bless the Lord. That your instinct is to bless the Lord. I'm talking about when you're not thinking about. When your brain is turned off, what's coming out of your mouth? What's, what's the natural instinct to come out of your mouth? Let it be blessing to God. Amen. Lord, we bless you. We honor you. We ask you to cleanse our lips. As you did for Isaiah who said, Oh God, I'm a man undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And you touched his lips with a coal. And you cleansed his mouth. Do the same for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's not what we're preaching on today, but I believe that's the Spirit of God. We can get back to that. We'll get back to that. You don't need a coach. You don't need a, a script. You don't need a song for you to be able to bless the Lord. If you can't find words to say, you need to spend some time meditating on who our God is. Amen. I want us to think about something today as we get into the Word. And uh, thank God we've been talking a little bit about uh, how we are a light to our city, to our culture. You have to understand that the culture around us is not always bad, but it's not always good. And the culture around us has largely been shaped without the light. There are elements of light, but most of it is shaped in darkness. And so some of the culture can be redeemed. Some of the culture, God wants to breathe life into and bring light into the darkness and, uh, and his life revive these elements. And some of the elements of our culture must be outright rejected. Come on now. Is that okay with you? Come on now. You're aliens. Right. You're strangers. Amen. So some things we just got to say, no, that's not how we live. It's right not who we are. It's, it's not what we do. I want to talk today about, uh, about sheep. Are you okay with that? Let's talk about sheep. We're sheep, in a way. You know, God, thank God, he created us in his likeness. Above all the creatures of the planet, we were created in the likeness of God. We're the only creatures on the planet that were created in his image. We're the only creatures in his pl on the planet that were given dominion over the other creatures. We're the only creatures on the planet that he breathed his spirit into. And I know that your little poodle looks at you like they get what's going on and that they got, they're going to see you in heaven someday, but I hate to break this to you. Your little poodle does not have the breath of God in him. Now, God gave that poodle life, but it doesn't have a living spirit like you have. We, above all creatures, have been honored to bear the image of the Creator. And that is a great honor. And we kind of ruined it. But Jesus came to restore what was lost, to redeem what was cursed, to bring back what we had, even better than in the garden. 
So when we hear this, the scripture, in fact, Jesus often calls us sheep. Now, we're only sheep in relation to him as the shepherd. You know, if you look at an actual sheep, they're nothing like you, of course, right? Wouldn't put a sheep up here and say, preach. Wouldn't, wouldn't put a sheep on the front row and say, watch how the sheep worships. Sheep are smart, but they're also very dumb. Right? So when the scripture talks about sheep, he's not saying you are equal to a sheep. He's just saying there's a relationship between the sheep and the shepherd that we need to learn. Now I want to read you something from First uh, Peter. First Peter chapter 2. Thank God. First Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. There are two things that happened on that great weekend. We die to sin. But that's not the end of the story, is it? We live to righteousness. On the cross, my old self was crucified. But in the resurrection, a new self was raised. I identify with the cross in that I died. But I identify with the resurrection in that I was raised. My old identity was crucified, but my new identity has been raised up with Christ. You can't have one without the other. We can't just preach that the old ways are gone if we don't preach, behold, new things have come. We can't preach that the old self is dead if we don't preach that the new self is alive to God. So many Christians have learned about the dead part. They've learned about their old self being passed away. And they've defined themselves by what's not there anymore. They've defined themselves by what they don't do. That's a pretty lousy definition, isn't it? You should not be defined solely by what you don't partake in. That's not Christianity. That's not following Jesus. Jesus was not known all over Judea for, being the, for just being the guy that stayed in his house so he didn't sin, that just try, tried to stay away from trouble. He was without sin. He resisted the devil. Even under intense temptation, he never buckled. And yet he was known, the Bible says later, as Peter says this, he says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how he went about doing good. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He doesn't say, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how he just went about and never did anything wrong. Thank God that's part of it. But what really defined Jesus was not what he didn't do, but what he did do. What defines you is not just the self that was crucified, because that's nature abhors a vacuum. You're, just, you're not the absence of something, you're the presence of something. We are... Right here, we've died to sin, but we now live for righteousness. Thank God. That's what we're alive for. We're alive to be Jesus. We're alive to let him be who he is through us to a lost and dying world. We're we're alive that his light would shine in us and shine through us to a dark place. And it says, we might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. That's the New King James. In verse 25, it says, For you were continually 
straying like sheep. You were continually straying like sheep. But now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. You notice in both cases, you're sheep either way, right? It doesn't say that when you got saved, you became sheep. The question isn't whether you became like a sheep when you got saved. We're all like sheep. Now, maybe you're, you're a little uncomfortable with that. You don't like sheep, that you think they smell, whatever. But I think the scripture draws, I think God, if God compares us in this way, I think it's safe that we do as well. So whenever he's talking about sheep, he always mentions a shepherd, right? That's how we're like sheep in our relationship with the shepherd. So when we got saved, we didn't all of a sudden turn into sheep. Here's the thing. We always were like sheep. The difference was we were once continually straying, but now we've returned. Now we've returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Now, this, this word, of course, shepherd, you're familiar with. That's where we get the word pastor from. Guardian also can be, be translated as an overseer. It's where we get the word bishop from. Jesus is the shepherd of our souls, but he's also the overseer, the ruler, the guardian of our souls. When we think of shepherd, we often think about a, a tender, uh, somebody who's caring for us, a, 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 you know, somebody who makes us feel better. But a shepherd also keeps you when you start wandering, puts you back on the path. And he's also the guardian of your soul, which in one way, you can think about the fact that, you know, he's, he's keeping the wolves away. He's destroying and the lion, the bear, the wolf that comes against you. He beats them. He, he, he conquers them so that you can't be killed yourself. But he's also the overseer, the ruler of our souls. And here's what I'm talking about with culture. Thank God. You know, somebody once said, and I thought this is just a, a, great, a great statement, but somebody once said that democracy is a terrible form of government, but it's the best one we've got. It's the best one. It's the best one we've got. It's the best one we'll ever have. It's not a good form of government, but nothing is. The only government that's going to be worth celebrating is when Jesus himself comes and rules. Until then, democracy is a good thing. It's just, let's not, let's not put it in a position it can't hold. And we can't drag democracy into our relationship with Jesus. Do you know why democracy works in our country? Because our country is not a theocracy, nor should it be. You know Why? Because until Jesus comes and rules with a rod of iron, if you were to have a theocracy in Canada, you'd have a group of people that thought they were spiritual but were looking for power and would use the name of Jesus to get people to do what they want. And that's terrible form of government. Democracy works, but it has no place in the kingdom of God. Notice the kingdom of God is a kingdom. Right? A kingdom, by definition, has a king. And this king is a king that while he loves you and cares for you and has known you since before you were in your mother's womb, he really doesn't need your input. And he's not looking for your approval. He is the king and he's perfect and he's good and everything good that comes in life comes when we finally get a hold of the fact that the king should be king. 
We've been given freedom of will. We've been given the opportunity to obey or rebel against the king. And let me just make it clear to you, the other option, if you're not obeying, you are rebelling. Mylene put it excellently when she shared her testimony. Just putting it off or making excuses is not neutral. It's disobedience. If your kid pretends they don't hear you, you tell them to do this. Anybody had kids that do that? You know they hear you, but they pretend they don't hear you. Kids, you're family day. You can't deny it. You're here. Kids, you ever remember those times where your parents tell you to do something and you don't want to do it, so you pretend you didn't hear it? That's not, that's not just, well, I, I didn't obey, but I didn't disobey. That's disobedience. My parents used to tell me when, when they were teaching me to hear from God and to obey God, they always said to me, delayed obedience is disobedience. But thank God, delayed obedience is better than nothing. Here he says, you were continually straying like sheep, and now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Both 1 Peter 2.24 and 25 come from Isaiah chapter 53. And I'd like you to turn there because I want you to see the full context of that verse that he's quoting from. See, Peter writes it on the other side of the cross. That's why he says, by his wounds, you were healed. Isaiah is writing it before the cross. He says, by his wounds, we are healed. In 1 Peter 20, or sorry, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 and verse 4 says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. So what, what caused him to have to pay that price? What was it that we did... That caused him to have to bear such an intense burden. What was it that we put on Jesus? How did we do it? He goes ahead and says in verse 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. I want you to hear the language he uses. He doesn't say that the sheep rose up and tried to kill the shepherd. Doesn't say that the sheep decided to be evil sheep. Sounds like a movie or a video game, doesn't it? It does. The sheep didn't just decide we're going to be evil, we're going to be wrong, we're going to be bad. The iniquities that caused Jesus to have to suffer such a terrible death was a result of us going astray and going our own way. Even in the garden, sin was not born out of people hatching a plan to overthrow God. Eve was deceived, wasn't she? Adam was deceived. What did the serpent say to Eve? He said, you'll be wise. You'll be like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. He doesn't say, God's a jerk, we should overthrow him. He doesn't say, let's be evil for a while. You know you want to. No, all he offers is the wisdom to know yourself without having to ask him what's right and what's wrong. Aren't you tired of that guy telling you what's right and what's wrong? Wouldn't you like to just know for yourself 
what's right and what's wrong? Wouldn't you like to be able to make up your own mind about it? Wouldn't you like to have the same wisdom so you don't have to rely on him all the time? And Eve says, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. You see, we think, we think of rebellion as somebody saying, I hate God. I want to destroy God. I just, uh, or there is no God. But what he says here is that the iniquities that fell on Jesus came as a result of us deciding to do our own thing. Listen to the word stray. Stray is gradual, isn't it? Stray is not, uh, it's not a binary, you're either in or out kind of thing. Stray is little by little. A little shift here, a little shift there. Maybe this is all right. Maybe this is, and the straying is caused by us thinking that we got a better plan. I want you to, to hear this phrase, each one did what was right in his own eyes, because it pops up a few times in the Old Testament. Each one did what was right in his own eyes. And every time God uses that phrase, it's never a good thing. You know, most of the people uh, in our city, most of the people in our culture right now aren't sitting around saying, I hate Jesus, I hate Jesus, I hate Jesus. In fact, most unbelievers will tell you that they love Jesus. They'll tell you they hate Christians or hate the church, but they love Jesus. But their version of Jesus is this wonderful Middle Eastern guru who tells them whatever you're doing, you're good. Whatever you're doing sounds good to me. Just love one another. What does love mean to you? Well, love means to me that, you know, I can, uh, I'm married, but love means to me an open relationship with lots of drugs and, and, and things like that. You know, uh, love is whatever you define it to be. But we believe love is not what I define it to be. Because there is a definition of love. God is love. And the ultimate example of that love was Jesus Christ on the cross laying his life down for me. There is no greater love than that. Most people aren't sitting around saying, let's be evil. Most people are thinking they're doing good. They're doing right. But it's as they define good. It's as they define right. And I'm going to tell you our compass is broken. Because our compass was always meant to be clicked in, to be hooked in, to be guided by him, the great north star, the great light. God himself is our magnetic north. And if you lose connection with that, north is whatever you want it to be, which is real cool, real special until you're actually trying to do something productive. <laughs> Some kid comes out of school and says, well, north is here. Well, he can get along for a while thinking north is there. North's over that way, isn't it? Until he tries to actually do something. Until he tries to figure out where he lives. Until he tries to, you know, build something. Until, until somebody gives him directions. What if we said that? Where's Edmonton? Well, just head, just head west. Well, I, what, my west is this way and your west is that way. So which west? Whatever west you feel like. You'll eventually get there. The earth is round. <laughs> You're in for a fun ride. We got born again, didn't we? 
We came back to the fold of Jesus Christ. But man, we came back to the fold. We learned the goodness of the shepherd. And you know what? I'm going to speak for me for right now. As much as I've learned over and over again, the shepherd is right, the shepherd is right, the shepherd is right. Every now and then, I think, well, this is a good idea. And I start doing what I think is right. I don't remember the last time I said, you know what? Forget you, God. I don't remember the last time I said God's wrong and I'm right. I don't think I've ever said it. And yet, my actions, by thinking I knew it was right without consulting him, by thinking I was right because it worked for me, I'm straying from the shepherd. I want to read you something in Judges, just to show you each one. See, the first time we see that phrase is, is when Moses, God is talking to Moses to talk to the people. And he says to him, he says, we got to stop this. Each one. He says, no more are we going to do this. Each one does what's right in their own eyes. And you know, almost every time that phrase pops up, somebody's doing something stupid and wacky and they're building idols and they're doing all sorts of funky stuff and they're thinking they're doing the right thing. (laughs) I'm going to tell you again, most people don't think they're evil. Most people don't think they're bad. Most people don't think they're rebellious. They think they're doing the right thing. But closing your ears and saying, I can't hear you is straight up disobedience. I want to read you something from Judges. You turn to Judges in your Bibles. You know, we we have our favorite sections of Judges, and then we have the lost chapters, right? (laughs) You all know how to find Samson in Judges, don't you? You all can figure out, (laughs) you all can figure out where are we going to find Deborah. I know where Deborah is. The Allens know where J.L. is found. But there's these weird chapters that we never want to preach out of because they're just weird. I don't know what I get out of this, God. There's some stories in there that are straight up messed up. (laughs) They're not in your picture Bible. They're not in your children's storybook. And they're not in your adult devotions. Have you ever read Judges 17 and just said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about, God? What's the point here? Turn to Judges 17. We're going to find out. Judges 17.1 says there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. Man of the hill country. Micah the hillbilly. He said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver which were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse in my hearing, Behold, hey, look, the silver is with me. I took it. You didn't catch that? He stole 1,100 pieces of silver from his mom. (laughs) And he got freaked out when she cursed him. (laughs) Whoever stole this, I cursed them. May they die. May they shrivel up. May all their children be cursed. And he's like, oh, I should probably return that. So he walks in and goes, remember that time? (laughs) Remember that time somebody stole some money from you? Yeah. Remember when you, you told the curse? You, you made that curse about it? Yeah. Well, look, guess what? I took it. <laughs> we can all forget about this now. Can you just reverse that curse, you know, whatever you did? As mom, being a forgiving mother, said, 
Blessed be my son by the Lord. She wants grandbabies. She wants this to turn out well for him. I take it back. Blessed be my son by the Lord. You see, mothers are far more forgiving of their sons than they would have been of the neighbor kid who stole 1,100 pieces. You can give that money back, but you are still cursed, neighbor kid. But no, my, my boy can do no wrong. He probably had a good reason. Probably had a good reason. Blessed be my son by the Lord. He then returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, and she's about to say something that sounds holy until you think about it. She says, I wholly dedicate the silver from my hand to the Lord. Oh, isn't that wonderful? I wholly, now that I've got this money back, tell you what, you stole that money. I had it saved up for something, but God brought it back. So I now, I now dedicate all of that silver to the Lord. Oh, what a good mother. But then we keep reading. To make a graven image and a molten image. You lost me. I dedicate it to the Lord, oh, great Jehovah, so that you can make an idol which he despises to honor the Lord. Now, therefore, I will return them to you. You know why she's, well, we'll get on to that in a minute. Verse 4, so when he returned the silver to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave them to the silversmith. Should there be a silversmith in Israel right now? Do you know what silversmiths in that time did? Pretty much exclusively made idols. Gave them to the silversmith who made them into a graven image and a molten image. And they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod. If you don't know what an ephod is, it's what the priests would wear. You don't just make one. I just stick one in. Why not? I think I heard somebody tell me one time that ephods were good. That we could somehow know the Lord's will if we had an ephod. So let's just have that. And household idols and consecrated one of his sons that he might become his priest. In those days there was no king or no ruler in Israel. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. You see how wacky people get when they do what's right in their own eyes? His mom is a nut job. And she says... The Lord brought back my money. I dedicated all the Lord. Now, she had 1,100 pieces of silver. She dedicated all the Lord, but notice she gave 200 pieces. In theory, it's all dedicated to the Lord, but you only need 200, right? It's a lot of our offerings, isn't it? God, everything I have is yours. Five bucks in my wallet, I think. She dedicates it to the Lord to build something that is exactly the opposite of what God wants. But everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. This seems like a good idea. He thinks ephods are a God thing, right? That's how we know God's will, right? We inquire of the Lord with the ephod. Okay, all right. Let's, uh, let's make an ephod. Well, you know what? I think priests were a good thing, weren't they? Okay, boy, come here. You're going to be a priest. But daddy, we're not, we're not at the house of Levi. Doesn't matter, I'll make you a priest. Oh, my house is blessed. This is, the same, this is the same genius who later on hires a traveling Levite. Stay in my house. Now I'm going to be extra blessed. Because everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. You're smart people. But your intelligence does not even begin to breach the intelligence of God. 
Sometimes in our own attempts to figure out a right way and a good way, we get ourselves in more trouble than we ever would have got before because we forsake the voice of the shepherd for going our own way. Those sheep that stray, they're not trying to rebel. They just got something in their head. And they want to see where this leads. And I'll tell you where it leads. It leads to a place where there's no food. It leads to a place where there's no water. And it leads to a place where predators are far more likely to get you than they would be if you stuck with the shepherd. There is always the good shepherd who brings you home. See, Jesus told the story of a lost sheep, and he said, I would leave 99 of my sheep. Now, he doesn't leave them all alone. He leaves them with a caretaker. But I would leave 99 just to find that one and bring them home. And he talks about even the angels of heaven rejoicing when one comes home, when that lost sheep comes home. See, Jesus loves you enough not to let you stray for the rest of your life. He'll get you, but you have to choose to return to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Now, many of you here, you say, I have returned. Just like 1 Peter said, I have returned, past tense. Once we've returned, why would we go back to our own way, to our own idea? We've been set free from straying. We've been set free from the need to do our own thing. The Bible says in the scripture, it says in the New Testament, he died for all that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. He died for all that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. I've said this before, but you know what kind of people have to live for themselves? You know what kind of people have to look out for number one? Orphans. Somebody who's been forsaken. See, we think it's a good thing to take care of yourself. We think it's a great and honorable thing to do your own thing, to go your own way, to carve your own path. For doesn't the Bible say, God helps those who help themselves? No, the Bible doesn't say that. It sounds biblical, but it's not there. And a penny saved is a penny earned is not there. And cleanliness next to godliness isn't there. And it sounds so spiritual to say, oh, you know what? Sometimes you just got to do your thing. God created you with wisdom so that you know what to do. Now just go out and do it. And I agree, sometimes we're stuck in a rut and we're too afraid to do anything. But ultimately, when we're doing what's right in our own eyes, we're straying. And it was that straying that Jesus paid for. It was that straying that Jesus died for. And he brought us home back to his fold. John 10 says it so beautifully. He says, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep follow me. He says, I call them out and they come out. And they follow me because they know my voice. If you were to go to the Holy Land right now, Don and Trudy are going right away. If you were to go to the Holy Land right now, you'd see shepherds still taking care of their sheep much like they did in these times where Jesus said that. And often the shepherd will communicate in things like a whistle or singing to the sheep. And you'll have a bunch of sheep 
together, different flocks that belong to different people. But when their shepherd starts to sing, when their shepherd starts to whistle, those sheep separate from the other sheep and they know their shepherd. Think about what it would be like hearing Jesus say that. I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. They come through me. They enter through the door. I'm the door. And they enter through me and they find rest and they find protection. He says, and they go out, they come in and they go out and they know my voice and they don't follow strangers because they don't know the voice of strangers. They know my voice. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, I'm not going to have any lack because I know the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me to where the good green pastures are. He leads me beside quiet waters and still waters. You notice he doesn't bring patches of grass to them and stuff it in their face and say, eat you stupid sheep, eat you stupid sheep. He leads you. He doesn't, it doesn't say he drags me to still waters. He leads me to still waters. Here's the thing that's tough for us Canadians. Being led. Because being led means I'm not in charge of my journey. I'm not in charge of the path I take. I'm not in charge of the pace. That's hard. Some of us want to go the right way. We just want to get there quicker. But Following the shepherd. So he doesn't say he brings the grass to you. He doesn't bring the water to you. He leads you to those places. And there are times where the path to the grass and the path to the water goes through the valley of the shadow of death where there are predators all around you. And if you were there by yourself, you might as well be a goner. But the shepherd says, I won't fear in those places for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What was the rod used for? The rod often was a club that sometimes had spikes in it. It was that rod that totally, totally intimidated the predators. You remember the guy that wrote that, Psalm 23, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, got his training firsthand. The Bible tells us, in fact, he tells it himself, that there was a lion that came after his sheep, there was a bear that came after his sheep, there were wolves that came after his sheep. And he says... Now, this, is a, this guy is nuts. Because when a lion comes and he grabbed one of his sheep, and it says David grabbed him, just grabbed him, tufted his hair, and started smacking him till he let the sheep go. How many of you guys would do that? You'd be like, well, you said, I have 99 sheep, I got 99 sheep. I got 98 sheep, I got 98 sheep. We would just think that was... Sheep make more sheep. We'll eventually get more. It's not worth it. Not worth it. I, I don't want to be Captain Hook here. Grabs. I mean, you want to, you, you know, this is not negotiating with a lion. Grabs them by the hair. Starts smacking them. And kills them. That's the kind of shepherd we have. That's the kind of shepherd we have. Don't you know? You don't have to fight the lions. You don't have to fight the bears. Thank God. That's why the Bible says, submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to the shepherd. Get under his rule. Get under his protection. Submit yourself to God. Then resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. But the devil doesn't flee from people that aren't submitted to God. The devil doesn't flee. He seeks, doesn't the Bible say? It says, he, the, 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 the adversary, the devil, Satan, 
prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If the devil could devour anyone, don't you think he wouldn't have to seek? If he could just eat whoever he wanted to eat, he wouldn't have to seek who he may devour. Why is he having to seek? Because there are some people he can't touch. That's why the Bible says, be on the alert for your adversary, the devil. Be on the alert. So what am I supposed to do? Submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you because he is afraid of you. He is afraid of your shepherd. We must rid ourselves of our need for independence. I'm pro-independence when it comes to government. I'm pro-independence when it comes to our relationship in the secular world. But I am not pro-independence when it comes to the kingdom of God. Get rid of that idea right now. Get rid of it. Because you've got a shepherd that loves you. And you've got a shepherd that will fiercely defend you. And you've got a shepherd that wants you to be fed and watered and cared for. But that's only going to happen when you follow him. We sometimes think that the shepherd is going to just pick you up and take you where you need to be. But when Jesus talks about himself as the shepherd, he talks about leading the sheep. We have to learn how to be led again. What does the Bible say that we just read? 1 Peter 2 says, we've returned to the shepherd and guardian of our soul. What is your soul? It's your mind, your will, your emotions. Have you let your emotions be shepherded by the good shepherd? Have Have you let your thoughts be shepherded? Have you let your dreams be shepherded? Have you let your plans be shepherded? As a sister said earlier, God said to his people Israel, I know the plans I have for you. I know my plans for you. They're good. They're not for evil. They're to give you a future. They give you hope. I know my plans for you. Will you embrace those plans for you? For we were all like sheep, constantly straying. But now we've returned. Each one went to his own way. Culture. The culture of today is a tricky one. As I said before, the danger in North America is not that somebody would throw you in prison. It's not that somebody would kill you for your faith. Although it's always an outside possibility. It's a very outside possibility. You guys don't go to work thinking I might die today for for confessing the name of Jesus. I believe you're all prepared to die. But the reality is that's probably not going to happen. Do you know what our culture uses? Shame. The intimidation of being on the outside. The intimidation of not fitting in, the intimidation of being called a hater, the intimidation of being called somebody who just doesn't, doesn't get it. And they steadily push you to this place where you're afraid to move. We're not afraid to die, but are we afraid to live for him? And I don't, I'm not here to condemn you, I'm here to encourage you. I want you to know wherever you go, there is a shepherd. And so our culture teaches us, as long as you do what you think is right, that's all I can expect of you. And that attitude has crept into the church. Just do what you think is right. Well, now, I believe you have the spirit of God that's able to lead you and guide you. 
So if you were to talk to me, I may tell you, do whatever the Spirit leads you to do. That's not the same as doing whatever you think is right. Can, can I give you just a litmus test? If every time God's ever talked to you, you thought, well, yeah, I'm doing that. I agree with that. You might not really have been listening every time God talked to you. You know what I'm saying? How do you know he's Lord if you've never heard something from him you didn't like and you had to do it? Jesus is not your homeboy, right? As the t-shirt says, he's my friend. He's a lover of my soul, but he is not my sidekick who just walks around going, hey, that's a good idea, Johnny. <laughs> well, what else? We should go. <laughs> we should go. And uh, what, what, what do you want to do? Well, I, I want to go get a cheeseburger. Well, that's a good idea, I suppose. Uh, let's go over there. Well, um, how about we go win some people to Jesus? I, I really don't feel that that's what I'm called to do. Oh, okay. All right. Well, um, you know, like if that's what Jesus looks like to you, or sounds like to you, <laughs> You're not sure, you don't have a Lord, you have a sidekick. How do you know Jesus is Lord? I know he's Lord because he told me to do something I didn't want to do and I did it anyway. It doesn't mean you'll always disagree with him because the more and more your mind is renewed and the more and more you get into the word, the more you will desire what he desires. The more you will get into his rhythm and you'll find out you want the things that he wants. You desire the things that he desires. But if you've never had to say, I don't think that's a good idea, but I know you're telling me to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. You are not being led. You are being assisted. You are being cheerleaded, but you're not really being led by the shepherd. <laughs> and here he is saying, come back to me. Jesus said, I've got those who are not of this flock, but they're coming into the fold. And I believe he was speaking ahead to us, the Gentiles, who are going to enter the flock and be part of his flock. And he said, and I will make them one flock. And here... The shepherd has so graciously taken the rebels. Us that have rebelled and stayed and said we knew what was best, he went out and found us and he did not execute us. He didn't say, boys, we're having lamb fajitas tonight. Now I'm getting hungry. He took us home and he treated us like we were the same as the sheep that never strayed. Because in reality, all of us have. I want you to know, Jesus, is, Jesus isn't counting strikes against you. Jesus is not saying, look how many times you've strayed. You're demoted. This guy, you know what? He's never strayed. The Lord is able to forgive. The Lord is able to cleanse. So you need to get over your times of straying because the Bible says the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. But it is a good thing for you to recognize that your straying was iniquity. Do you know I am a great believer in the grace of God? Huge believer in the grace of God. That's why I'm able to say when I sin, I'm able to call it sin because I don't need to justify what I did. Jesus did not die to justify my sin. He came to justify me. So I've gotten over needing to figure out a nice way to put what I did. I'm going to call it what, I, what it is. It's sin, and it's not mine. 
It's been removed from me as far as the east is from the west. It was placed on Jesus, and it cost him, and he paid the price for it. And so I'm not going to insult the grace of God by calling it a mistake. I'm going to call it what it was. It was rebellion. But it's not on me anymore. I've been forgiven. I've been set free. I've been redeemed. And so I don't have a past history of mistake. I have a past history of straying, of iniquity. But the Lord caused my iniquity to fall on Jesus. And now by his wounds, I am and I was healed. And so I'm going to live in that reality. I'm going to live righteously. I'm going to say, hey, guys. Let's follow the shepherd, but don't make this mistake. Straying is not benign. Straying is not innocent. Straying is rebellion. Rebellion, you might think, is you and a couple of friends in a room saying, let's just disobey God. But that's hardly ever what rebellion looks like. Rebellion looks like you going your own way, doing what's right. In your own eyes. You notice the scripture doesn't say they did what was evil in their own eyes. They did what was right. And the Bible talks about in the last days, men will call evil good. Hey, if you haven't been paying attention, that's what's going on right now. The very things that God calls evil, we are celebrating. We're celebrating. And, I, and don't just... Make that one issue, guys. I know many of you are going to a couple issues in your head. These are, there are, there, it's easy to become arrogant about sin you've never been tempted with. Right? I've never been tempted with that, so I'm going to get on my high horse and preach against it. But there are things that are very personal to us that we celebrate because we're ashamed. You ever notice when you're ashamed of something? Your instinct's not to just avoid it. Many times your instinct's to flip the script and actually make it out like it was a good thing. Today, I'm not here to condemn. I'm here to tell you of the great shepherd that stretched out his arms for you and bore your iniquity, your iniquity which was caused by straying. And can I tell you, let's not insult the grace of God by continuing to do what's right in our eyes. Let's seek what's right in his eyes. We have a Redeemer, and He's alive. And He sings His song, and the sheep hear the song. He whistles His whistle, and the sheep hear the whistle. He says our names. The Bible says, Jesus says, the Good Shepherd, He calls His own by name. You know, in the Bible, when you gave something a name, the name was more than just something somebody would call you by. The name spoke of your identity. And many times the name had to be changed to match that identity. And when he calls you by name, he doesn't call you by the name your parents named you. He calls you by the name he gave you. But don't get weird on me and start saying, my God name is Spirit Bird. Don't be weird like that. Don't be weird, all right? <laughs> Get a t-shirt just says, don't be weird. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be weird, but be filled with the Spirit. But he calls you by his name that he gave you. And his name that he speaks over you speaks of a destiny that you don't even believe yet. His name that he gave you does not speak of your past, but it speaks of your future. His name that he calls you by is not defined by the times you strayed. 
His name speaks of his relationship with you. And the shepherd will treat you as if you've never strayed. Thank God. We got a room full of people who did what was right in their own eyes for so many years. But the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And we were washed and we were cleaned. He picked us up. He cleaned us up. He, he fought off the predators. And he brought us back and he healed our wounds. <laughs> and he put us in the family. And we were, he washed our, our, our sheep first, our wool so white. that The Bible says, David wrote, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Imagine he's saying, I'll be so clean, snow doesn't even begin to describe how white I'll be. How clean I'll be. I've never seen a sheep that white. Have you? Ever hung out with sheep? Dirty. You never look at the sheep and go, that's what color I want my teeth to be. I want to paint my wall sheep white. No. Why? Because they carry the dirt. Even when you wash them, it'll take them long. They carry the dirt, they carry the dust. But he speaks of a washing, the shepherd, when he brings his sheep back. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. I'll tell you, democracy is the best thing we got for an earthly government, but it belongs in the, in the secular world. It does not belong in the kingdom of God. We're all equals in the sight of God. But we have a king. We have a master who has called us friend. We have a Lord who said if we would humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he would raise us up. We've got to quit seeking our own idea of what's good. Christians can do this better than anybody because we put Christian words with it. We know how to phrase it. We know how to make it sound spiritual. We might even commit the blasphemy of saying God told us when we're aware he didn't. Lord, forgive us. I don't want you to hear this and be afraid to step out. I want you to be fearless. I want you to be bold. I want you to be brave. I don't want you to continually say, well, is this my idea? Is this God's idea? You know what? You get to know his voice and you'll know. You get into the word and you'll know. Can I say this again? Christian books are great. There's some Christian TV that's great. But if you're listening to those voices more than you listen to this, more than you're reading this, more than you're hearing this, if, you, if it's got to be an audio Bible for you, cool, do that. But I can always tell when someone reads more books than they read the Bible. I shouldn't say I can always tell. I can't always tell. But often it's obvious. It's often obvious when someone watches more Christian TV than they do getting in the Word themselves. Why? Because when you get in the Word for yourself... It speaks to you. It comes alive to you. And you are shaped, and you are led, and you are guided, and you begin to listen to the voice of the Spirit which is within you. Because Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to be to you what I was to you. He will lead you. He will guide you. Doesn't that sound like what a shepherd would do? He'll lead you. He will guide you. He will teach you. He will remind you of all things, and he will always point to Jesus. We're not going to do what's right in our eyes. 
we're going to do what's right in the eyes of the king. And we're going to honor the shepherd. And we're going to say, yeah, I, am, I have been redeemed from a life of straying. I've been redeemed from a life of my own plans and my own dreams and my will. And I've been given a second chance, a third chance, a hundredth chance to serve my shepherd and to follow him. And here's the good news, guys. The shepherd tends to lead you to the places you've wanted to be the whole time. You've been looking for rest. You've been looking for protection. You've been, and here's what we thought. The safest place to be would be to stay in the sheepfold because there's no predators in here. But that's not true. The safest place to be is with the shepherd. And so sometimes, as Brother Mark said, when he talk, talked about the parable of the talents, many times we think safe is staying still. But I'm telling you, safe isn't always staying still. Safe is going where the shepherd goes. And safe, can you imagine when David talked in Psalm 23, when he said he's with the shepherd, the safest place to be in all the country was the valley of the shadow of death. Isn't that weird? When the sheep is with the shepherd, the valley of the shadow of death is safer than the sheepfold. I'm safe when I follow him. Quit thinking you're safe by staying still. By burying that talent and being cautious and saying, well, you know what? At least I'm not making any mistakes. The life of following the shepherd is a life that is fraught with danger all around you. But as long as you're with the shepherd, you fear no evil. I submit my ways to the Lord and he'll make my path straight. The Bible says in Proverbs that each man does what's right in his own eyes, but it's the Lord that judges the heart. The Lord knows what's right. You see, the original sin was let me know myself what's right and what's wrong. When God said, follow me and I'll show you. You know, even when we read the words of Jesus, we read the words of Jesus and we follow him in our own understanding, you're not following the shepherd. You ever read the Beatitudes and go, how in the world am I ever going to do that? You ever read the Sermon on the Mount and just be depressed? Do you know what he wants you to do? He doesn't want you to say, memorize all this and go out and do it. He's telling you, follow me. Just stand back and look at what I'm saying. Just let yourself be in awe of it. Now follow me and I'll lead you to this. My spirit will enable you to do what you couldn't do before. I'll enable you to live, and you will do what I'm telling you right now. But you can't do it without him. You think you can memorize all that and just do it? You can't. Without him, we can do nothing. Without him, we can't bear any fruit. But when we abide in him, we bear much fruit. And the Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and bring glory to God. And in that day, in his name, you'll ask anything, and it will be done for you. Praise God. You realize that the shepherd's going to put you into some situations where you have to ask for things that you never thought you'd ask for. You have to ask for things that seem idiotic to ask for, ridiculous to ask for. But he's glorified in this, that in his name, you ask anything, and I'll I'll be done for you. I'll make sure it happens because you're in my will. You're in my plan. You're in my purposes. Praise God. I want us to just take a moment. Let's stand up today.